in the air looking out at 38 and a half thousand people in melbourne our opening night in australia yeah. and i'm like what is this life like i'm here there's yeah. 38 and a half thousand australian people sitting there yeah. my countrymen and i've i'm here representing australia on this stage and i like it was it was pretty insane like, yeah. i felt really proud to be an aussie because from the period of when you'd won that that dame sutherland grant yeah or the award i should say yeah. to then that's what an incredible yeah. whirlwind kind of that's a year and a half later She's known to millions around the world as the Angel of Australia, the name given to her by that famous Dutch violinist, Andre Ryu. But today, she joins us for a good old ramble chat. Hello, Bradley McCaw here. Welcome to this week's episode. Today's guest is the one and only Marusha, an Australian-born soprano with Dutch heritage that made her name touring the world with Andre Ryu before a flourishing solo career put her CDs and DVDs at number one on the ARIA charts. We sit down together in Brisbane, Australia, pre-COVID, I should add, to discuss her opera career, performing stadium-sized concerts all over the world. We even explore the differences between being Dutch and Australian in a very silly game I invented called How Do I Say This in Dutch? And spoilers, I say probably everything incorrectly. A quick reminder to follow us wherever you get your podcast for new episodes every Friday and check out what I'm up to at Bradley McCaw Official on Instagram and Facebook. Oh, and also check out my music from uh, from my new album featuring music legends Louis Shelton, who played with the Monkees, Lionel Richie and the Jacksons, and Nathan East, who played with Daft Punk, Eric Clapton, Phil Collins. Don't forget to please share this episode with a friend if you enjoy it. That's the best way for us to reach a new audience is the old-fashioned word of mouth. Visit our show notes for links to Marusha's music, tours and her latest release, which is a live CD and DVD that's really, really gorgeous, so definitely do go check that out. This was a blast to record, and I think you're really going to enjoy this chat, so let's get into it. We kick off talking about a charity Marusha is passionate about called the ACMF, and the personal adversity she overcame to become the youngest ever recipient of the prestigious Dame Joan Sutherland Opera Award. And then from there, well, everything else. I'm Bradley McCaw, and this is Ramble City. Welcome to Ramble City. Did you say before what the ACMF was? Did you yeah, say that? What, yeah, what, what the, was it? So it's the Australian Children's Music Foundation. Yeah. And basically we raise money for kids around Australia who um, may be in a school that doesn't have a music program anymore yep. because around Australia music programs are basically the first subject to go. Indeed, yeah. Um, so we try to put musical education back into schools. Yep. We uh, help fund private tuition in the case that music is completely dropped as a subject. We'll yep. put a music teacher in the school and give private tuition. Yep. For the kids that can't afford an instrument, we raise money to give them instruments. Yep. Uh, we bring musical education classes to uh, really, really um, remote areas, especially Indigenous communities and also to juvenile detention centres. And we just see a very positive response to the music programs that we send yeah, out. We've seen really, really incredible outcomes where kids come from a family where 
you know, they've, they've wit- witnessed abuse and they are basically manic depressive mm. and they go into this music program feeling they have an outlet for all of that anger, sadness, and they actually come out playing an instrument and it actually helps their mental state too. Yeah, finding a way to connect mm. to those things and getting it out. Yeah. And it's really, really interesting. And I love working with the ACMF. Um, I just can't imagine what my life would have been like had I not had music education as a child. I don't think I would be here today talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely wouldn't have pursued a career in music if I hadn't had the correct teachers and the correct influences in my life. And I, I truly believe that these influences need to be positive I once had a music teacher that basically told me that I was too fat and too ugly and not talented enough, uh, that I had no style and that my voice would never get anywhere and that I was just destined to not be involved in music. Mm. And it was a really negative person. Um, My parents actually took me out of that school because I didn't want to sing anymore, yet I'd had that talent since I was a young girl. So it was kind of scary that one person could break me. Yeah. Do you remember the first time then when you sung, which you like that it felt good or that you remember you went, oh, I'm a singer? Yeah. Well, it was at that time. This was, we're talking about 1998, 1999. And I remember at that time, talent quests in shopping centres were (laughs) huge and everywhere. I remember. And so I used to enter all these talent quests all the time. And so in a way I had this one person at my school telling me that I wasn't good enough, yet I would go and do these talent quests on the weekend and win prizes. Mm. And I was like, well, what's the reality here? You know, like am I actually good or am I (laughs) terrible? (laughs) What's the deal? I just got a really big steak. You know, (laughs) I won with these steak knives. What do you want from me? Yeah, Yeah, that's it. That's it. But wait, there's more. (laughs) So yeah, you know, it was, it was um, eye-opening for me, but also for my parents who were always there, but they weren't pushing me as an artist. They didn't want to be those stage parents and in fact my parents were often questioning like do you really want to do that talent quest or <laughs> you know and I'd be like yeah and they're like are you sure you don't just want to go out sailing on the boat or something this weekend and I'd be like no no jacaranda festivals on you know like I've got to got to go so you always <laughs> you always just wanted to sing I just you wanted always wanted to, to compete yeah. it wasn't about the competing that was about singing publicly oh yeah, right? yeah like I would I would approach these talent quests as an actual like gig. Yeah. Oh, wow. What, <laughs> so, you, what was your routine? What would you do? Like, would you? Uh, um, so I'd, I'd obviously enter the talent quest and whatever. And, um, and then I would definitely approach the competition as though it was just a performance so mm. that those nerves and that angst about, you know, being compared or being judged never existed. Yeah, right. Um, it didn't occur to you. You were just going to do to sing. Yeah, I just went there to sing. Kid. And to me it didn't really matter what the outcome was. And the the, the, the most important time that, that happened to me and, and actually I think this was a big turnaround in my career. I entered the Dame Joan Sutherland Opera Award um, competition in 2006 and that's for when and you were studying at the Griffith Conservatorium yeah. in Brisbane, Queensland, Australia, for anyone that's yes, that not one. from Brisbane. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, um, I, look, we knew, I knew you all know what that is, but I'm just joking. Yeah. At the Queensland Conservatorium of Music. Yeah. And um, I was in my final year at the con and 
basically this competition came about. It was run by the Noosa Federation of the Arts. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm in my last year of uni. Really, I should be entering more of these types of competitions. You know, go back to my talent quest roots. Because <laughs> in a way, it's all the same. Mm-hmm. And so off I went. And so I did my first audition, um, which was just at Opera Australia in the studio there. And I sang a song and they were like, oh, could we hear more? And I was like, oh, okay, because usually you just prepare one. And so I just – and they kept wanting to hear more and more. And I thought, oh, obviously maybe they're considering me to be a finalist next year or something, you know. Yeah. Like I really approached the whole thing as I'm 21. Yeah. Everybody else is 30-something, you know, yeah. like as if as if I even have a chance. So I left that audition and then I heard that I was through to the finals and I was like, oh what? Because I totally didn't expect that. I believe there were six finalists. So that was held in Noosa. And I remember going to Noosa and actually just joking around with everyone. Like I was the really? big joker. Like all the other competitors were honestly saying to me like, oh, you do realise you're too young to win and, yep. oh, huh, it's so cute that you're here. <laughs> yeah. You know, those were the comments I was getting. And I was just laughing. I was just like, oh, I know. Like as if I even Because you genuinely thought that. You thought I'm not yeah. going to win this. I'll come back in seven years and clean up. Totally. Like I was like, I'm 21 years old. Nobody else is as young as me here. Um, these were all people who had were doing their master's or postgraduate mm. degrees um, or singing professionally with Opera Australia and there was me. In my final year at the con, you know, 21. So so there I stood and and I sang my songs and um, then they started to announce who the winners were and my name wasn't being announced as a runner-up. So I thought, oh, well, I wasn't even a runner-up. You're not even on the ballot. (laughs) So I just sat back going like, well, I'm so happy for everyone else, you know, like they're so much older than me. And then all of a sudden they announced the winner as me and I was like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> is this a joke? <laughs> I honestly thought they were playing a joke on me and that everyone would laugh like, ha, 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 that young 21-year-old yep. um, who came here to try, you know, Yeah, to, to do her best, but she was never going to You know, win it. like she was yeah. never, never considered. Yeah. And I won it. And, um, and it was really a big turnaround for me with the prize money. I recorded my debut EP, yeah. um, which I... I called She Walks in Beauty. And uh, on this EP, I got local musicians involved. I also got a grant from my local community. Um, And I really put it out professionally. Um, And it was that EP that landed on the desk of Andre Rieu. Amazing. So, Were you still studying when you did the EP or was that? Yeah. You, yeah. I was. It was, I was. So I was still in that final year of conservatorium. Yeah. Um, and then that was the doorway to the next thing, which was then yeah, yeah. getting so a call from, I basic- from Andre. Yeah, I basically won the Dame Joan Sutherland Opera Award in June. Yeah. Um, I was already busy with plans of doing an EP. I just didn't really have the funds yeah, for it. Yeah, I did use a local orchestra, so I had a real professional sound there. I used a professional studio. I, I wanted 
what I was making to be quality. I didn't want it to be dodgy. But, you know, everything costs. And, I mean, yeah. you probably didn't have, you know, a little kitty that was saved from all your talent quest victories, did you? Yeah, just, yeah. Just, you know, well, just collecting I little... was. I mean, I was collecting stuff. Of course you were, of course. My, the yeah. $50 here and the $50 <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> August just are really cheap, you know, if 150 know, bucks would get you, you know, Prague. <laughs> Prague Symphony. Like an hour with a flautist. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, um, but it was it was really it was it was really fun to do the EP too because I learned a lot about that side of the music industry and I felt that because I'd done an opera course and I was you know I was I graduated as a bachelor of music in vocal performance in classical voice I kind of felt that that whole recording process had been left out of my music degree. Mm. Um, I know that nowadays it's all part of the the plan and and it's part of everybody's degree but I actually took a separate course in music industry studies when I was studying at the conservatorium and during that course which all happened to be around the same time that I was doing the Dame Joan Sutherland award um, we were learning about how to record an, an album so basically when I won the award did the album got the artwork done and actually had the physical thing in my hand. I actually went to the teacher that taught me the musical industry, music industry studies and I gave her a CD and I said, this is what you taught me to do, mm. so here you go. And she was like, okay, I didn't expect you to take it <laughs> to that level. <laughs> you know, put it into practice. So I did. And, um, and some of those songs that were on that EP actually ended up on a professionally released album later down the track. Across the last, what is it now, 10 years, 14, you've had a consistent release record of, of, of studio recordings that have really gone to the top of the Australian charts, the, the top of the Aria charts. That's, yeah. that's, it's incredible. <laughs> Thank you. To, do you ever look back on, on that sort of beginning and, and see how you started in that process to now? Is it, is it kind of the same for you each time you approach a new project or a new kind of a new record, let's say, do you think about it in, in a different way? Do you imagine it in a different way or is it kind of just the same, well, we're going to do another one now and let's just sort of <laughs> jump into it. I think, yeah, I think I do approach them all the same. Like in that mm. every album is exciting and every album is new. And so I, yes, I do approach every single one with like, okay, well, what's the next one going to be? Yep. Sometimes I'll be in studio recording and go, hey, for the next record, let's do this, you know. <laughs> yeah. So the, the ideas are always flowing and, and they're always there. It's not like I take a year's break and then go, all right, let's go and, and do a storyboard. It's time to dust off the old vocal cords. Let's do this now. Yeah. But, you know, like I, I do, I, I have all of these ideas and I just released my Christmas album a couple of months ago uh, and while we were releasing the Christmas album, we're already planning the date for the next release. Yeah. Um, having worked with an artist like Andre Rio, who's basically releasing albums once every six months, if not more, yeah. um, there were moments in... I think he's got a team of elves that work on <laughs> them and they're not working on Christmas presents for Santa. I it's believe like it's like the just, same. It's just, just a production. Just like, That's right, yeah. Um, you know, like I, there was a moment there in the Australian um, in the Australian Aria charts where basically 
Andre was 18 of the 20 albums in the classical crossover. Wow. It was, he was just, he was releasing so many albums and everything was amazing. Um, I mean, the music that Andre releases and plays in concert and on the DVDs that so many people own, um, it's music that everybody is loving, it's accessible and Mm. it's something for all ages. And I think that with myself as an artist, before I even met Andre, before I even knew he existed as an artist, um, it was the same type of thing that I was doing. I mean, I was not creating music um, that I didn't want to sing. I was creating the music that I loved to perform, that had meaning to me, but that also had meaning to so many others. Yeah. Um, It it exists in a different place in this sort of classical crossover kind of title. Like you think about, when you really think about what that means, I don't know what that means other than it's classical music that is not necessarily traditional classical music or it is, it's just not from Beethoven's hands necessarily. You know, I don't yeah. I, I don't understand the delineation. Um, is there one that you can sort of think of or is it just that or adult contemporary or all these things? It's kind yeah. of timeless music, like you say, that people people really they are really timeless. Love. They are timeless. And they'll melodies. probably be recorded in fifty, a hundred, hundred and fifty years. That's the thing. You yeah. know, like Andre's doing them now because that's what the people like. Hmm. But you you're right. I mean, hundred years ago it was being performed as well in Vienna, you know. So it's it's, it's all it's always been there. Mm. It just takes an artist like Andre to bring it to the masses yeah. in a fun way. And um, the first I remember, this was all happening all at the same time. I'd won the Dame Joan Sutherland Opera Award. My mum was working, so my mum always worked in retirement villages okay. as the diversional therapist. What's a diversional um, therapist? A diversional therapist is a very fancy name for someone who does lots of activities with elderly people who okay. are in the nursing homes. Yep. And basically a diversional therapy is diverting people from thinking about depressing things like end of life or sickness or things like that. And I loved what my mum did. I really respected her work and I loved going into the village where she worked to actually spend time with these people that lived there. And so... Because I loved singing and I was doing it all the time, I would literally come with my little tape deck recorder and I would put on a performance. And again, I would I would approach this as just another gig. Yeah, of course. You know, yeah. on my calendar. And yeah. had I had Facebook back in the day, you probably would have been, been shot. Would have been a Facebook event. <laughs> yeah, would have been. <laughs> Do you know We're I mean? live from the village. <laughs> <laughs> Like here we are at the village, and um, and this is um, you Bertle. know, this Hello. is Jan, and this, this is this is whoever, because they're all Dutch. Because my mum worked at a Dutch retirement village, which is handy because she's got the Dutch heritage. Yeah, as do I. So, yeah, I think that was really special to sing for these elderly people, and and for them to give me suggestions of the music that they wanted to hear, which I would then go, okay, you know what. I'm going to go home with your list of suggestions, source the backing tracks and come back in a couple of weeks and I'll sing these songs for you. So my catalogue of music was getting really, really broad because I was singing these songs 
just like what Andre does, the songs that people remember from their childhood. This is sort of uh, blowing my mind a little bit because I, uh, how I kind of got into doing my own shows, one-man shows, let's say cabaret or, or that sort of thing, was I used to uh, work at this school in Brisbane, this, this, this primary school, and I used to lead their music assembly. So I used to kind of be Brad the Music Man and I would uh, lead them through the song and I would teach the people the song and then I'd work with the band during the week because I was teaching music there and then I'd bring it all together in kind of this this big sort of uh, by chance thing that sort of just happened to work on the day. You know, it took a lot of kind of, a lot of, kind of juggling. And that was kind of what taught me the the personality I would have on stage and it would inform the very start of what was me becoming me as a performer. Yeah. And so it's amazing to hear a similar story from you where you yeah. were kind of starting, at least gathering your understanding of it from hearing these people talk about these songs that they loved and, oh, right, I sing a song you love and you have that experience kind of back and forth. It's a pretty, it's a really cool story. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think I think it's also really important that music is one of those things that you share with people. And so uh, even now today I'll get messages from fans saying, oh, I'd love it if you could sing this song. And I will look at it. I will go and research it and say, Mm. you know, like, is it something for me and do I like it? If I don't like it, I'm not going to sing it because it just doesn't sit well with my heart. But, you know, if I like it, I'll sing it. Taylor Swift lady everyone keeps emailing (laughs) me about. What's this song, Lover? (laughs) (laughs) Sounds a bit risque for me. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, I have done songs, crazy, crazy songs. Like I had, um, I have this this friend of mine in the Netherlands. He is my accountant but turned into friend and he loves this. In in the Netherlands they have this celebration and it's actually happening at the moment. It's called Carnival. And basically everyone gets dressed in crazy costumes. Okay. They all go out to their – because every every city basically has its own sort of square yep. where they all sort of get together and they get completely drunk. Everyone's having parties. There's live music and they have carnival's music. Okay. So the music of the carnival. And it's basically just like oompa-pa on steroids <laughs> and everyone's just like, oh, 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 and it's all happening. It's like, unka, dunka, 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 and everyone's having a party and people are dressed up as spiders and as, I don't know, the tax man and they're all coming together. And however creative your costume is, the most creative is better, you know, so you've yeah, got to right. go all out. Yep. So basically you're unrecognisable. That's the oh, point. Wow. okay. Um, and so, yeah, so this guy, my friend Eddie, he is like obsessed with this carnival's music and he said to me I would love it if you could sing a carnival song on your tour in the Netherlands so I'm like okay (laughs) (laughs) um I've just you know sung all of this opera (laughs) yeah that's right so but I did and I chucked one in at the end of my show as an encore and literally the audience were like what is happening and Everyone's up on their feet and they're having this party and they're all just like, whoa, I can't believe she did that. Yeah. Is that because you came out in a big ant suit? Yeah, like basically no one could recognise me because I was dressed up as Andre or something. (laughs) (laughs) But I I mean, I did do the thing where, you know, I had had the big skirt on and then the skirt comes off and it's a short dress underneath and everyone was like, what's happening? Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and we did this very dramatic introduction, so people thought it was just another operatic aria coming, you wow. know, as an encore. Yeah. So we have we had a lot of fun with that song. So again, a suggestion from a friend, but it's one that I took with me on this tour, and now it's literally part of my repertoire in the Netherlands. I basically can't do a tour there without doing "Laten Zon in Your Heart," which is which means in English, "Let the Sun in Your Heart." Which kind of makes sense because I'm from Brisbane and basically it's the sun's Sunshine's. here most of the time <laughs> yeah. and not in the Netherlands. <laughs> so you're both. How do you reconcile the the uh, Australian and the Dutch in you? Is there do they clash at all? Do you it's, think with the yeah, with culturally? They they clash. You know, I'm right. a very confused woman. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I've got my Dutch side and I've got my Australian side, and I think you know when when. When you think of the Dutch, you often think of people who are fun and and um, having a good time, drinking beer in yeah. a cafe, and um, you think of tulips, and you think that of, European you know, sailor yeah, kind of thing, whatever. But I think, in all honesty, I honestly believe that the Dutch mentality is to be extremely organized and and to if you're going to plan in say a lunch date with your friend it's like okay well let's get out our agendas our calendars our agendas and let's just flick through and see when we can actually meet up because you know it's all booked in there oh and so it has to be it's all very, very oh, thorough very, very formal and oh. you know like oh we're going to go out um to the spa together so we've got to book it in and um it's, so everything's it's very organized very, very much prepared. about organization wow. okay. um yeah totally and so Coming from Australia, where basically a lot of people um, live by the motto, do tomorrow, you know, what, what you don't you feel do like today. doing today. I don't know the, the exact words of yeah. it, but um, yeah. So those two things are always they, kind of contradicting they, each other. They do because yeah. some days, and, and this literally happens to me, some days I'm really Dutch and I'll sit there and I'll write my list and I've even got the little <laughs> checkbox so I can check it off with a tick. And then other days I'm like, mm, I just, I just want a Netflix, you know. <laughs> I don't know if that's specifically Australian, though. I don't know if like I don't know if that's the Aussies are the only one. No, okay, so I've got a little game I've yeah, prepared. Oh, okay, no. all right. Ooh. So hang on, I'm gonna just uh, find where this is. All right, so I went on to the old Google, Ooh. and uh, and I typed in. What makes a Dutch person Dutch? Okay. okay. And then I typed in what makes an Australian person Australian. Okay, okay, okay. And I want to see if you can kind of uh, recognise one of these more than the other. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, at some point I'm going to need to just grab my phone because they have the the Australian ones because I ran out of paper. But okay. but we've got the Dutch ones here. Uh, both of the, the answers came from, oh, my God, I'm showing my age now. Kids don't laugh. Um Cura or Quora, you know that question website, which is like yeah. Q-U-O-R-A. Yeah. I've never said that out loud in my life. So Quora, Quora. Anyway, so it's a legitimate question answering website uh, where people just go and sort of put their answers. Okay, so let me know if this is first of all Dutch. Yeah. If you if it's if it's if it's true, and if you um, recognize this part in your Dutch heritage. Okay. Okay. So number one is it just J. They add this to all words. Yeah. Je. I'm not pronouncing this correctly. It's no, je. you're not. It's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty much the complete opposite of what I said. Yeah. And what does that mean? What is. Okay. So basically, if you add a yeah or ch to the end of a word, it makes it smaller or cuter. So you could say 
um, for example, um, this beer or something. You could you could say Klein, which okay. is small. Okay, Klein. Or you could say Kleinche. Kleinche. It does sound kind of. And it's even it's smaller, but it's like a cute little Kleinche. You know, Kleinche. like it's a little one. Or you could say this is my doctor, my daughter. Or you could say, this is my doctor, Ch. I thought you were saying, this is my doctor. My this doctor. is my little well, you doctor. Could. You could say, this is my <laughs> this doctor. This is my little doctor. And doctor is the same word. So you could say, this is my doctor, Ch. And people would go like... Mm. Wait, wait, in Dutch, the, the word for doctor is the same word as your sister? Or it's the no, same no, no, word in English? English. As, English. I was like, because how would you... What if your sister was also a doctor? What oh, would yeah. You, if you were what, Dutch, no, what if your you? daughter was your do- was a doctor? I'd be like, this is, <laughs> this is my, my doctor and she's a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. <laughs> okay, so number one's correct. Number one is correct. Yeah, no, that's okay. correct, yep. Uh, so you use that. That's correct on all fronts. Number two, are the Dutch brutally honest? This is what this person said. The Dutch are yeah. brutally honest. Is that true? Uh-huh. You're brutally totally. honest? And like really to the point, like honestly, like my, my management team, mm. I basically, whenever I welcome someone new into the team, like a publicist or something like yeah. that or a new new producer of a record or whatever, yeah, I basically write them an email of introduction to my habits and it's wow. like okay this is me and then the song starts this is me <laughs> and, um, and basically it's just me saying I am really to the point because I don't like to waste time mm. so listen if I don't like what you've put down yep. I will just say no yep. or as the Dutch say geno or yeah. noje. No, I'm, not, I'm still saying it wrong. How do you say it? Yeah. Yeah. Or so it's like, yeah. It's got a T yeah. sometimes if it's, if it, it just depends on the word. Yeah. Uh, you're blowing my mind. No. Yeah, okay. So number two is also correct. Okay. Number yeah. three, apparently there is more of this thing. Uh, they didn't specify which place. So I'm assuming it would be Netherlands, the, the Netherlands. Yeah. Uh, that there is more bikes than people. Is yeah. this true? Yeah, it is. Really? Yeah. Yeah. There's bikes everywhere. So people just don't like motor cars or is it environmental? <laughs> well, like, we'll have a think. Okay, so the Netherlands is approximately um, just a bit over a third of the size of Tasmania. Okay, right. So it's, so it's like small. the size of the whole of Brisbane and surrounding suburbs. So it's small for a country because in Australia we have, what, 22 million yeah. living here? Yeah. In the Netherlands it's something like 19 million. In the whole country. In the whole country. Yeah. So we're talking about 19 million people living in the size of almost a third of Tasmania. Yeah. So you can ride everywhere being brutally honest. Basically, yeah. So basically you you just ride on your bike and and this is, they are brutally honest because if you're in their way, they will literally be like, They'll what does just, that mean? That means get out of my like, way, you, oh, well, you stupid tourist. Or, yeah, yeah, don't tell us what that is. All the Dutch, all the Dutch listeners are going, well, oh, that was very that rude. That was very rude. But That's if you do hear someone angel. yell yeah, for the angel of Australia saying that, oh, gosh. <laughs> but it's true. I've been yelled at. Okay, what about? they have bike paths that are, like, dedicated to bikes only. And if you walk there as a pedestrian, you will basically be run over. Really? Yeah. At uh, number four. So this is number four. I can't read my own writing. Tiny cold water sinks. <laughs> is this true? This is what the website said. Tiny cold water sinks. Okay, the, yep. the Dutch love tiny. They they like water. They don't like water sinks. They don't like large water sinks. They no. like tiny water sinks. Yeah. Well, we're talking about. It's not just in your kitchen a tiny sink. Like this is about your guest bathroom. Really? So in every house, like there's basically a. Okay, I'm I'm over exaggerating. Sure, sure. Not in every house, but in the houses that have a guest 
toilet. Sure. So it's usually by the front door. It's like just a toilet with attached this this little sink. Like it's not attached to the toilet, but it's like there. <laughs> that would be weird. But it's just <laughs> one little tap with cold water because what it's else would you cheaper use? Cheaper than getting a mixer tap in that little room. It's true. And the the sink is yeah, indeed, it's like maybe twenty centimeters. And these the, are everywhere. In every, almost every house. And is that because people are just knocking on each other's doors saying, can I use your bathroom? Yes. Sure, sure, it's right there. <laughs> well, I mean, I would because basically if you go out to a restaurant and you well, just go in. Well, you're on your bike. So. You're going in there, to, you're on your bike and you're going in there to use the bathroom. You usually have to pay for it too. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, that leads us to, to number five, which is tolerance. Are the Dutch very tolerant? Which uh, seems to probably um, go hand in hand with brutal honesty, I guess. Are they a tolerant people? Yes and no. It depends what we're talking about. Okay. And this can be a very political discussion. We oh, hang don't on. Get we don't. Into. We don't really. I don't know how. But um, tolerance. I think on on in general, mm. they're quite tolerant towards basically most things. But then again, with Some other things, things they really stand their ground, and they're like, "This is just not acceptable." And and you mean that politically, you can see they're very free with some things, and then some totally. things they say, "We are not moving on that." And also, different political parties, like one will tolerate it, the other one won't, and they'll be both completely on the other end of the scale, and both be screaming their heads off about it. Because number six, according to this person, was, and I'm not going to say this right again, but it was "do normal," "do normal," which means. Be normal. Be normal. But they meant it in a way that they were saying that they allow for people to be themselves and to sort of inhabit their version of normal was what kind of what I took from that. Uh, I don't know about that. I think it's more if you say to someone do normal, it's like basically everyone should just um, be normal in society. So normal is maybe the wrong word in English, but in Dutch right. do normal would be um, – if if somebody was in a cafe, right? Okay. Which is like a more like a, a a pub here. Okay. Okay. And you've got like all of these people there, and one guy starts having like a fight and yelling and screaming. Uh, oh, so someone would go do normal. So it's our it's our version of dude, be cool. Be be, be yeah, cool. Chill out. Do yeah. Like that's kind of Calm what down. it is. So it's and it's with that with everything. So say, um, I don't know. It's it, it's got a lot to do with even your clothing. Like say um, you're just too revealing. Someone might approach you and just go, "Come on, do normal." Like no this is just a bit. This bit is much. a bit much. So don't don't be too much. Don't be too little. Just be normal. <laughs> that's uh, that's the on the on the Dutch flag. Uh, number six is and I quote, "Being hot." Full stop. Seriously. Full stop. Attractive. Full stop. <laughs> and tall. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Most most Dutch people are very tall. <laughs> I have met some incredibly tall people. And sometimes when I'm walking here in Australia and I see a really tall person just sticking out of the crowd, I'm like, I bet you that person's bet you Dutch. Dutch. Bet you. And they usually are too. Number seven was, well, I can't read that. We're going to move on. I'll see. I'll, I'll say it at the end of the podcast, or uh, if I can f- remember what my writing is. Number eight, hocking lodgings, which I believe the, this this person was saying that the when they speak, it sounds like they're. Excuse, sorry, everyone, for just making that sound in an audio format, but like that they sound like they're. They're spitting, I think, is what this person was kind of inferring. Like just when they're talking? Yeah, but you don't have to incriminate yourself and answer that one. I'll move straight on. Well, it's just the Dutch language. 
Okay, so give us the most, the most, uh, apolo- apologies for saying this, the most spitty kind of phrase you can think of. Oh, it's just basically anything that you say in Dutch is <laughs> so going to be like that. basically just it's Dutch. Like, like, like it is. Anything. If you say goodbye or hello. Okay, say hello. The, wo- say the hello. word is, the word in, is spelt D-A-G, which basically in English is dag. So uh-huh. it's already like, what is this word in Dutch? Yeah. And we say dag. That sounds like you're having a major... Like, <laughs> like my, my Brazilian friend said when she hears people speaking Dutch, she just imagines dogs on the streets that are just, you know, like <laughs> vomiting out. Like That's like, a lovely image. It's, That's it's a beautiful a image. image. But, like, don't forget, though, that in the Netherlands, yes, we have one language, Dutch, but every region and province has its own dialect. Okay. And so there's thousands of dialects. And so my my husband, for example, he comes from Maastricht, which is in the south. And his dialect is compared to somebody who's from Friesland in the north of the Netherlands. He's very tall, by the way. <laughs> Anyone who's in the north of the Netherlands speaking in their Friesland dialect, like say from Lewarden or something, yeah. th- if they were speaking in their dialects to each other, they would not understand each other. And so, for example, if if free, if TV from Friesland is being put on, it's on, different language. on in, the, in Maastricht, they subtitle it because you cannot understand them. Can you just listen to the different... Yeah, but it's like it's like people from Maastricht speak more sing-songy, a bit more slow, like... Like I'm, I'm not actually saying a word there. <laughs> no, but no, no, they no would I say know like, exactly the, the, <laughs> the district you're referring to. But they to. would say, like, if they're going to say hello, they'd yeah. be like, oh, yeah. and it's like almost like a song. Yeah. Like, you know, they've... There you but, go again. But then we're in the south, so we're not as... As, as guttural, so it's a little bit less, it's more like a duck. As we call it a soft G. So yeah. from the south duck. of the Netherlands, we've got soft G. And then as we go above the rivers, that's what they call it, in the middle of the Netherlands, we get yeah. this hard G. So Amsterdam um, and, and above, they're really speaking with a harder G. So we get someone going like, like that. And you just go like, okay, I need a tissue. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're wiping your face there. <laughs> like, it's like, honestly. And, and so you can hear where someone comes from yeah, right. just by how they speak Dutch because yeah. they will have a different way. With your articulated ear and, and how much spit is left on your yeah, face. Yeah, basically, yeah. Um, I'm going to give you all three here at, at once. So we've got a number nine is modern design. Apparently. Number 10 is Dutch art. So this person was saying like the Dutch masters, which I don't actually know much about. So that's something I'd be interested to hear about. And number Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah. yeah, Of course. Yeah. Uh, 11 is cheese and bread. (laughs) Cheese and bread is like basically every meal. (laughs) I mean, that's all all you need. It's pretty European. (sighs) Okay. So now we compare that. So overall, that was pretty, pretty accurate. This person was kind of onto it. That's a really accurate accurate list. I hope people are thinking nicely and well of the Dutch after hearing my comments. I mean... <laughs> well, especially... So that kind of builds a certain picture about the Dutch. It sort of gives you a certain idea. It's quite thorough. That's 11 yeah. really kind of kind of points about attitudes and, and, and the, the language and all sorts of different things. So all different parts of the culture. We put the same thing in about the Australians. Okay. Uh, I've got to be honest, I found this pretty, pretty strange. <laughs> There's not as many in this particular one. Now, now to be to be transparent, there's probably there's four answers here. One was a paragraph. I don't want to sort of get into that. It was like talking about the lingo and things like that. Uh, but 
I'm not going to. There's one here which was really interesting. Uh, what are Australians best known for? Wife carrying. So apparently, there's the Australian. In it, this is a huge occasion in the Australian sporting calendar, where the men carry their wives. Uh, it's happened since the 19th century. Um, a particular legend, the robber. And um, they, there's a championship that happens in 2005. Now, this is something that we Australians are very I well known have for. I've never even heard of this before. Never Who wrote heard of this list? Uh, I won't disclose it. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, tuna tossing is the next one. Old okay. Fish. Who wrote this list? I'm, I'm telling you, this is this is it. Oh, fish tail alley, the world's weirdest sport. So apparently, since 1979, people have been throwing tuna. tuna. Okay. And then, see, this is more a, a list of the, the the sports that make Australians seem crazy. That's what right. this is. Okay, okay. So, so we've got cocky races, which is obviously the the cockroach oh, yeah. races. We all yeah, know yeah. that one. Australia Day, yeah. And that's kind of it. There's one more Henley on the Todd Regatta, which is a complete lack of water. It's a waterless regatta. Oh, I've never heard of that either. Either we're showing a complete lack of culture. Uh, or well, it's probably an Australian who wrote this list as a joke because basically Australians are all pranksters and jokesters. <laughs> but I think what yeah, you he's said born before, and bred in Australia. But I think what you said before, you went, you said, "Oh, it's a paragraph about the lingo." Lingo. This is so Australian to shorten every single word and every single name. Like, I think that that's an Australian thing to do. That's exactly what that paragraph says. Yeah. Like, like, oh, oh, servo, yeah. drongo, arvo, smoko. Yeah. Why do we do that with an O? Oh. I don't know. I don't know that either. It's like, it's also this thing, like, you, you call your mate, like, um, T-Dog. Yeah, his, yeah, yeah. His name's Trevor. Yeah. <laughs> What's so bad at Trevor? We don't like formality. I think the idea of yeah. like what agency or people being above us, we want them to feel like we're... They're one of us. We don't like that they're yeah, above think, us, the old English tradition. Yeah, there's no tall poppies. I think that's that's quite a big No dis- tall no tall poppy. What do you mean? Oh, the, oh that's right, like, there's no, no one, one above us. No one can be a tall poppy. We like, bring it's everybody just like down. Everyone's the same. Unless they're sporting people. <laughs> well, Maybe we shouldn't get into this. <laughs> we're, mu- we're musicians. That's on that's on me. That's on me. <laughs> So do you have a, um, a, a favourite performance or a favourite venue that sticks out in your mind through, through your career so far? Is there, a, is there a, a, a performance that you look back on and you go, geez, I really remember that and I think of it fondly just um, in, in, in recollecting? There's, there's so many performances that were really incredible and just – that I stood on stage going, is it, am I doing this for real? Like, yeah, is right. this a real thing? Yeah. Um, I remember the first time that I was on stage with Andre, for example, I I mean, I just graduated from the conservatorium and then two months later I'm standing on stage in Boston in the USA with Andre, an orchestra and 10,000 people in the audience. And I'm like, okay, whoa, you know, the last time I performed was like at my graduation or, or whatever, you know, and I was singing for like 15 people. <laughs> <laughs> this is slightly more than you that. You know, so there I was and, I, and, and, and Andre had this whole concept in his mind where um, I came out dressed as an angel and I came up with like the, the dry ice and I was on this forklift thing and I came out in a big angel costume and then, 
um, I would walk, the angel costume basically split in half and I would walk out of it in this slim sequined gown and sing Wishing You Were Somehow Here Again from The Phantom of the Opera, which is the song that I actually auditioned um, for Andre with when I got to Maastricht. And this is how the angel of Australia came about. So that's how he he would introduce me as. And here she is, the angel of Australia. And we had discussions because we'd be like, is it angel of Australia or angel from Australia? And he'd just be like, no, angel of Australia. No, you have to claim that. He's like, it's angel of Australia. So, okay, I became the angel of Australia. That's a lot of pressure on the afterlife Um, for you. You realise that it's going to come back to bug you. I know, if I don't actually end up being an angel, it's like, (laughs) what the? I'm Dutch. (laughs) So this was the thing you were saying, this is one of those memories that you remember. Yeah, so, so I'd be there on stage. And, and and I thought to myself in that moment, like, what if I can't, what if I don't sing? What if mm. nothing comes out? Because I've never sung for so many people before. Like I'd done the Brisbane carols and stuff like that. Sure, yeah. But it's not like this. Like this was yeah. the world stage. I was standing in Boston. Um, it's a big deal. It, it was <laughs> a big Excuse deal. Me. And I was 21. Yeah. Um, and, the, and so, but I went there and. It was just the look that Andre gave me almost as though he was holding my hand the whole time or embracing me and he really took me under his wing and I I felt secure. Mm. And also the fact that the whole orchestra are are like a family. Straight away you feel embraced by them. Um, And so I I didn't feel like I had to prove myself. I didn't feel like I was being judged. I just felt like, again, like it was just another gig and I just I prepared myself for that situation like okay this is just another gig and I'm just going to do it and I yeah. did um and as time went on the audiences started to get bigger and bigger Andre's name was rising um when I first joined him you know it wasn't like today like it is today and so uh we we came to Australia in 2008 with a huge tour called the World Stadium Tour and we took a set around the world, which was a one-to-one scale of the Schönbrunn Palace in Vienna. This, the, the, the idea of this blows my mind. Yeah. The logistics of this, yeah. how to then see through this idea. So ex- uh-huh. just give us a picture of what that means, just for anyone that doesn't like, know what it is. Okay, so the set itself, including ice skating, two ice skating rinks, um, two fountains with water that did, you know, the water of things like yep. in Las Vegas kind of... Dancing. Um, just a team of people behind the backstage just quickly yeah. shoveling more water onto the like, top of it. We're talking about 500 people on stage at the same time and 500 people backstage doing crew, building, costumes, sound and lighting. And they're from all over the world. They're not just from the country that we're in at that moment. Yeah. Um, so this this tour broke world records. It's I think it still remains the Guinness World Record for the largest tour ever in the world. Um, Do you remember what you thought when you first heard the idea? I, I, well, I thought that, it, again, I thought Andre was joking because yeah. he, he he comes up with these ideas and it's just like, <laughs> mm, this doesn't seem realistic. <laughs> but he's like, no, 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 I, I'm going to do it. And and he did. And it was his, it was his dream to do this. I mean, mm. Andre named his orchestra the Johann Strauss Orchestra after his favourite composer, Johann Strauss, who composed the Blue Danube and, of course, the second – all the all these amazing waltzes that he's famous for now around the yep. world. Um, and it's with without Johann Strauss, Andre probably wouldn't be where he is today either. Do you know yeah. what I'm trying to say? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this this castle, this 
palace was really a dedication to all of that. Is um, there some significance to the church and to the place of the, the palace? Sorry, not the church, excuse me, but the palace. Is there some sort of Straussian significance to it or is it just well, the whole event was an ode to Strauss is it, more what you're saying? No, but if you go to Vienna... The Schönbrunn Palace is basically one of the attractions that you visit. Yeah, yeah. It's where the emperor and the empress lived. Yeah. And the most famous is, of course, um, Empress Sissi and the Emperor Franz Josef. And of course, so those it, two. In the, those two guys, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. going back in time, yeah. they were pretty chill. <laughs> Actually, they weren't, but anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a, a, a I mean, we're talking point. in the time of emperors and empresses. I mean, sure. this is this is hardcore history lesson. Um, but basically, a lot of music has been written around that. and Around um, that, what do you mean? Around them and around the court and around um So they the commissioned palace. a lot of things. Exactly. Yeah, so so yeah. a lot of that music is is in involved in the history of Vienna. Yeah. So that's basically what we were bringing around the world was this history in music, but also you can see it. And a lot of people can't Amazing. travel to Vienna. No. They don't have the money. They don't have the time. So we'll bring it to you, okay? So just sit back, relax in your in the stadium. And we'll just bring the the, the palace to you. So and the first did. time, so so the first time, then you walked out into one of those stadiums, and yeah. then so just describe what it was like and what you saw. Then you walk out, you know, through the whatever it's a it's a tunnel basically onto the field. Yeah, in well, a the stadium. Fir- the first time we did it was at the Rogers Centre in um, Toronto, okay. Canada, and this is the only time we've been able to set up the stage full out in its size one to one. How many days till show, or is it that day? No, 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 no. It took weeks to build it okay. the first time. Yeah. Um, and at the Rogers Centre, we were staying in the hotel there as well. So basically the breakfast room had a window yeah. which you could look out into the stadium, like it was basically in the stadium. So you could sit and eat breakfast and you'd see the back of the set. It was the back of it. Wasn't oh, right. Front. But it was just metal. Like there was just so much metal and there were a 100 containers, sea containers, that were touring the world. Per set, there were three sets. And a lot of these containers went missing overboard. So there, there was also situations where we're like, hey, what part of the set's gone? We're going to need a lot of sticky tape is and some the, metal. Is it the carriages <laughs> or is it the metal? You know, like all of that stuff was going on. So it was just so, so As I big. said, logistically, it's a, a bun beyond everything else too. It's, yeah. What a feat. I, it was oh crazy. And so Andrea's got 500 people on stage at the same time. My participation in the show was I – so the Angel of Australia theme continued with because it was all sort of in the same similar time. Yeah. I was I I had to learn and train to fly on the wire and I flew as an angel across this huge palace and I sang this incredible song called Concerto pour un voix which is just a vocalise. It doesn't have words, it's just ah. As you're So I'm just flying there and I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> that's an angel." I'm just flying everywhere. And um I would then come down I had 30 seconds to get out of cables and stuff, wings, all the stuff that was attached to me into this sequin dress again. It was a different colour. It was red this time. Yeah. And I came down saying, wishing you're somehow here again. Um, and in Australia we added a song to that and I did Botany Bay because we were in Australia. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so this was like insane. Like there was so much going on. So you had flying angels, there was carriages, there was ice dancers, there were full-on ice skaters that were – um, world 
um, where, champions. Where, was the ice? where did the ice? Come so out? the ice was um, on either side of the stage. So there were two big ice skating rinks. So what we'll do is um, there'll be a link uh, right now. You can just click back into the description and there's some links there. I would have probably talked about this in the, the opening of the episode too. But if you want to go and have a look at some pictures and come back and keep listening to to, to, to chat about it, go off and do that. But yeah, go yeah, on. It's, it's a really, you... There's a great video too where you can see the actual building of the, um, of the stage and we'll post a link to that. And it's basically just you know, in, in, in that fast, fast motion. And yeah. you just see it like, going, this how long is how did it take? It, I think it, for the, for the Toronto one, it took a couple of weeks because it was such a big feat, like just to get it all happening. Yeah. But then once we started touring with it, we, like we came down under to Australia, we started in Melbourne. Um, so we did Melbourne, uh, Adelaide, Sydney. Uh, we went over to New Zealand. New Zealand was a separate set because we wasn't able to, to get it there in time. Yeah. And then we had a separate set flown to Perth. So we had three sets down in the in the southern hemisphere. Um and then That's we had how one, big we are so as we had country, the one doing it? Brisbane and, and, and Adelaide and Melbourne and Sydney. We did Suncorp Stadium here in Brisbane. Um we had a massive thunderstorm on the night and so people were had to be evacuated and then we started the show an hour late. But wow. we were able to continue with the show. In Australia, the skating rinks were not made of ice. They were made of a synthetic material so that the ice skaters could still dance on this synthetic material, which is kind of like a cutting board, you know, like that yeah. type of material. That's what it sort of felt like. Yeah. Um, but it, was, it gets extremely hot with the friction of the ice skates. So these skaters were coming off off the ice going, my feet are burning. Oh, you know? my God. Because it was so hot, you know, and, yeah. and it was summer. It was December. Yeah. And it was just like <laughs> insane. Um, and then the fountains. So the fountains are there as well. Um, they're all like spraying water and the statues in the fountain. It literally looks like the Schönbrunn. If you've if you've ever seen a photo of the Schönbrunn Palace, it's just it was just that. But, yeah, so that was um, so, pretty m- insane, insane to tour with that. And to, to so I'm hoisted up in the air. Looking out at thirty-eight and a half thousand people in Melbourne, our opening night in Australia, yeah. and I'm like, "What is this life? Like, I'm here. There's yeah. thirty-eight and a half thousand Australian people sitting there, yeah. my countrymen, and I've I'm here representing Australia on this stage. And I like it was it was pretty insane. Yeah. Like, I felt really proud to be an Aussie. Because from the period of when you'd won that that Dame Sutherland Grant, yeah. or the award, I should say, yeah. to then, that's what an incredible yeah. whirlwind kind of... That was a year and a half later. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And so when you, when, you were, when you were growing up, did you have certain music that you really loved to listen to generally? Yeah. Like um, what? What was your top five? Well, first of all, obviously the first music that I ever heard was... Um, that I ever heard that was actually, you know hitting the nerve and, and, and I was singing along with, because I was a child, was, of course, Don Spencer and Feathers, Fur or Fins, his cassette yep. Yep. back in the 80s. Cassette. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, and that that was – I loved it because I, I was singing along and I was probably about three and I think that I felt – free and I felt like I was doing the right thing when I was singing and I just felt like this is what I'm meant to be doing. Yeah. So listening to Don Spencer, even throughout my childhood and my teenage years, even if I just put it on just as a joke, I'd be like I'd just be reminded of those feelings of 
oh, singing is so nice. Yeah, it's important to have those places, isn't it? At the moment for me it's singing in the bathroom. No oh, joke. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. I, like I sing best there so I just go back and if I'm having yep. a tough day, I go and sing in the, sh- in the, in great, the bathroom. It's great, right? Yeah. It's a so waste of water, but I mean, okay. Oh, no, I turn the water off. <laughs> just standing there in the bathroom. <laughs> That's legitimately what is happening. My neighbours must think, what is going on? <laughs> Probably love it. It's a free well, concert. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yep. So I think that's probably a pretty good place to um, to wrap up. How do we, how do I say uh, thank you? Um, thank you for being here today in Dutch. <laughs> um, you could say um, bedankt dat je hier was vandaag. What she said. <laughs> this has been Ramble City, a podcast of conversations with interesting people musing on art, life, and their careers. Created and produced by Old Fashioned Media. To hear more and discover additional material from today's episode, visit OFM.com. Listener.